we're just going to have a review of what we did so that we can be a little bit more detailed on what we discussed. Now, I'm going to start with, on Sunday we said we're going to deal or we dealt with four key areas. Can we remind ourselves of those subheadings? Can we remember that? The first one was what? The first one was the new birth and the second was what? Now, the second was grace versus law. And the third was what? Baptism of the Holy Spirit. And lastly, we now dealt with the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Now, during the course of the week, as God will have it, I've had a couple of people call me just to get some clarification on some things. And really, from the questions uh, some people did ask me, it was clear that one Peace was actually missing, which we're going to try to get um, to deal with it very much in detail so that we can have a better understanding of what we are going into. Now, the reason some people ask this question is because we're trying to do a lot of things as far as serving God is concerned with our head knowledge. For instance, if someone should ask you, how many times is a Christian supposed to pray? For instance, if somebody do ask you, do we have an ideal time as Christians we are supposed to pray? How many times? Three times, four times, five times. Do we have such? All, always. So, if a Christian do ask you, how many times are we supposed to pray? Because he or she believes we are supposed to pray three times or two times or have some traditional way of doing things. Now, the reason why these questions can come up is because there is something actually called the law of the spirits of the law and something also called the spirits of grace. And the spirits of grace is what particularly the Holy Spirit gives. And we're going to deal on the second subheading, grace versus law, and the reason why we want to do that is so that we can have a better understanding of how the Holy Spirit works in the life of every believer. Now, it is just a thin line between walking under the law and then walking under the grace. The only person that can help us as Christians to walk under the grace is only by the help of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to explain that. If you read the account of Romans very carefully, you will see the Apostle Paul, it took almost four chapters to try to remind the new converts or the existing believers. And if you go to the book of Corinth, the Bible makes us understand that Paul did visit them over and over, trying to remind them of how they have been walking with Christ and how they're supposed to keep walking in Christ. Now, you will ask then, why is it important that someone will come to church as much as we are, as for some who have been in church for five years, six years, ten years, and someone will come out of the blues and start trying to remind us of how to walk in Christ, how to be free to walk in Christ. Now, if you read the scriptures according to... If you read the scriptures according to John chapter 8 verse 31, which we don't need to open, but somewhere in scripture, the Bible also did say that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the words, 
They are the sons of God. Now, I want you to look at carefully. It says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, which means as many as are led by the Holy Spirit, they are what? The sons of God. Now, somewhere also, the scripture did also say that where the Spirit of God is or where the Holy Spirit is, there is what? Liberty. If you did look at the target audience in which this scripture was meant for, it wasn't meant for people who were not believers. It was meant for people who have been serving God for a long time. And so Paul did say, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are what? The sons of God. He also reminded them that where the Spirit of God is, there is what? Liberty. Paul also went ahead in Romans to try to tell the people or describe to the people what the difference is between walking under the law and walking under grace. Remember I said, walking under grace is what the Holy Spirit helps you to do. This is what the enemy is very good at. You leave home in the morning and possibly let's assume you had an appointment for 8 o'clock and for you to get to that appointment, let's say you have to drive 30 minutes to that appointment and you want to be there 15 minutes before. What is the ideal time to leave home? Let's just start with that. You have an appointment by 8, it takes you 30 minutes to drive, you want to be there 15 minutes earlier. What is the ideal time to leave your home? Seven what? Seven. Let me take it again. You have an appointment by eight o'clock. You, you plan to be there 15 minutes earlier and it will take you 30 minutes to get there. What time should I leave my house? Seven. Seven a.m. No, no, barring Lagos traffic, barring the traffic now. 7.15, technically. So if I leave 7.15, I'll get there by what time? 7.45, good. So I'll have 15 minutes for my, for my meeting. So my normal routine in life or Christian living is I wake up in the morning and I spend, let's say, 30 minutes to pray or to have my quiet time. So if I have to factor the 30 minutes into my morning, remember we've calculated I should leave by what time? 7.15, is that agreed? Now I should wake up to also have 30 minutes of a quiet time. So what time should I ideally wake up? 6.45, correct. Now if you're a woman, you possibly take you 30 minutes to take your bath and to do everything. If you're a man, you can do it in 15 minutes, right? Some men can do it in 10. Amen. Praise the Lord. Somebody told me he can do all his manly thing and still get out of the house in 5 minutes. Amen. I still don't want to believe that. Hallelujah. So let's take an average of 15 minutes. I have to take my bath and all the rest. Now, the most important thing is, routinely, I have to do 30 minutes of maybe quiet time then before leaving the house. For some reason, I wake up late. I'm a Christian. So for some reason, this morning I wake up late. Let's assume I wake up maybe quarter to, let's assume I wake up by 8 o'clock and I can still leave the house by 8.15. If I leave the house, if I wake up by 8 o'clock and by the time I finish dressing up, it's already 8.15 and I shouldn't be late for the meeting and I drive out just to get to that meeting. 
Will it be counted to me as righteousness or unrighteousness that I didn't have my quiet time? Will it be counted to me as righteousness or unrighteousness that I did not have my quiet time? How should you leave the house without having a moment with God? Now let's answer because we want to be real Christians here. This is what Paul was going through when he was speaking to the people in Romans and in 1 Corinthians. These were Christians who were still living with guilt even though they were Christians. People who were still living their life very, very dogmatically. So I'm putting it back to you. Will it be righteous of me or righteous of me that morning and let's even assume I'm going out for a business meeting so it's either they give me the contract or they don't give me the contract will it be righteous of me if I that I left the house without having a good time or a quiet time with God anybody can anybody help us want to drive somewhere so that we just want to create a life scenario so that we can understand it better Praise the Lord. The senior pastor wants to talk, even though I wish he spoke like. Oh. Okay, sir. Praise the Lord. Okay. Praise the Lord. So, the senior pastor have said, it is wrong not to pray. That answer is looking more like a disclaimer. Amen. <laughs> Don't say I said it. Praise the Lord. I think I should also tell that line sometime later on. Just put a disclaimer in your answer. So the person just is in the middle. Somebody wants to say something. Now, we want to just be practical because the reality, the reason why I'm bringing up this is because so many Christians are living under the law, which the Holy Spirit, in other words, was telling us we're supposed to live under grace. Okay, sir. you did it, how would you feel? Particularly also you are going for contract. And it's still Jehovah Ebenezer. How would you feel? You feel bad. Hold on, hold on. You feel bad. Anybody else? Describe the feeling. Auntie. Check some. sister, my big sister, the microphone, because what she said is very important. Please, ma, can you rewind? Okay, by lay. Well, I... Our enemy, Thank you, Pastor. What I said is that I will not feel guilty because I know I have the grace of God. This is once in a while. And while I am having my bath, I know I'm late, I'll be praying. While I'm taking my tea, I am praying. While I'm moving into my car, I pray. Pastor Tefe, you, you asked the car, question. I am praying. So there's no gap. If you agree with her, show it with your hands. Thank you. What about this side? If that was you, you woke up late. You killed the alarm instead of responding to your alarm. Now, you're in a hurry. 
So God is one that suffers. You don't pray and you're late for the appointment. You want to keep your appointment, God, just follow me somehow. What is the feeling you have in your heart? Do you feel condemned? Would you feel condemned? Yes. Hey, but just morning devotion. You know we have prayed before. The morning devotion. The way you say good morning, sweetheart, to your husband that is coming very soon. Amen. I knew you would say amen to that. Okay, for me, I won't feel bad because most times when I leave the house, two, two, normally, I'm two, very close to yeah, my house. Like, saying, Holy Spirit, I'm going, go with me and all that. Ah, so you do it often. That's why you won't feel bad. Okay, but, but will you feel condemned? No, I won't. Okay. Actually, I put on it today. It, because, uh, yes. I, oh, hold on, hold on. What did you say just now? <laughs> Pastor Tefia, you are in the spirit. This is the Holy Spirit. I actually slept very late. I walked to like 3.30. So when I... Give him volume now, Oga. What are you doing? So, usually, school runs by 7 a.m. I take my daughter to school. So I missed the quiet time. So how do yeah. you feel? While I was coming back, I was feeling very uncomfortable. Because yeah. I understand Lagos that today I could be on my own. Naturally, apart from the quiet time, we still meditate, we still pray and do all the stops all the time. Yeah. But that quiet time is significant to me. It's like, once I do it... You are sorted. Today, yes. So, I was really very uncomfortable mm-hmm. until I did it. I still went back. So, but before I dressed up, I did my quiet time. So, anybody else, what is, if that was you that missed your quiet time, be honest. What use that word to describe how you feel? Yes, one word. You feel that you missed out. So, whatever you missed out, you're not likely to get again. I can actually make it. Mama has said it all. No, don't copy her answer. Answer your own. Yes, madam. I can't hang. Take the microphone. I want to hear you. I said I feel that guilty. In me. I won't be comfortable. You feel guilty. When we feel guilty, do we feel blessed? Pastor Etefi, I hand over to you. She feels guilty. Praise the Lord. Yes, yes. Praise the Lord. Now, this is very important because... Um, for a while I've discovered that really many Christians, we go through this and one of the keys that the enemy uses against us so that you cannot have the fullness of the Holy Spirit that dwells in you so that you cannot enjoy the grace of God is what the scripture talks about in Romans chapter 8 verse 1, if you can turn to that. Now, when the book of Romans 8 verse 1 was written, it was written for an assembly such as this where we feel guilty for everything that we do not do at some point. We feel guilty because you did not pray. So for instance, 
if you are like Momo now, you've gone out and you did not, you know, live experience that he shared, and it gets to a point you had the meeting, and let's even say you had all it takes to get the contract. You are qualified for all. In fact, in your head mind, you're supposed to get it. And for some reason, things turned around and you did not get that contract. The person just said, oh, sorry, for some reason, we are just giving it to someone. We are not leaving. The reality is going to dawn on you more than it did. The enemy is going to come back in fullness and in full force. How could you have ever missed a contract just because you did not wake up to pray? Romans 8 verse 1, for there is therefore now, know what? Condemnation. Let's read together. There is therefore now, know what? Condemnation. To those who are in what? Who do not walk according to the what? But according to, if it's a capital S, just substitute with the Holy Spirit. But according to what? The Holy Spirit. Now usually we always think that flesh means, you know, sinful flesh. Sometimes that's what we think originally. But it, it doesn't really pertain to sin or, you know, lustfulness. It is talking about works. What we do unconsciously is trying to please God by our works. So I pray God should give me a contract. So I fasted, God should give me a contract. So I did this, God should give me a contract. So I spent time in church, God should give me a contract. So I did this, God should give me a contract. That is not the bargain. The bargain is that you are doing it because you love him. You are not doing it because he wants to bless you. He only promises you that for all you do, you are going to be blessed. But it is not the first prerequisite to be blessed. You do it because you just love him. Why do you serve in the house of God? If you are doing it because you want him to be blessed, you are invariably working by works. That is why we can hold God to the truth. For all I have served you, for all I have done this, for all I have prayed, for all I have fasted. I once shared with someone that the fact that you fast doesn't make God obliged to hear your prayer. So the question was, why then do we fast? You fast so that you can subject the flesh, so that you can be more tuned to the spirit to hear what he wants you to do. So the spirit is a Holy Spirit. So for the business of Lagos, you can't hear God loudly as much as you spend time fasting and subjecting yourself. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who walk not after the flesh. Today I did not pray. Maybe God will not answer me. But the condemnation comes because you are still thinking you are walking under the flesh. Now this is what usually happened before now. The children of Israel were, were given ten commandments. It's called the law. They were said, if you obey this law, God said, just obey this law, I will bless you. The Bible says, even God that gave them the law knew that they cannot obey the ten. So why did he give them the law in the first place? He went ahead and said, the law was formerly a school teacher, just to guide you. When Jesus now said, for have you ever heard this scripture? Search the scripture for in, in you think you have eternal life. What does it mean? You will hear we quote the scriptures. You will hear we quote that Bible passage. And people or we easily say, search the scripture. Especially when you are having an argument. Don't worry, search the scripture for it you have eternal life. But the original concept was what Jesus said. He said, you are busy searching the scriptures. You think that is what you think, that in reading this thing, 
you will have eternal life. Jesus was saying, stop reading the Bible page after page. It is not reading to obey that you are going to do. Because the more you read, the more you try to obey, the more you fall short of it. He's saying, I am the fulfillment of that scripture. So what you are searching for, Jesus was telling them, I am that law. This law you are reading, thou shalt not do this. Jesus said, you don't need to cram it. That's why he said, a time will come, you will not read the law. Because it will be written in your heart. So Jesus said, have me, you will have the law. Have me, you will obey the law. Have me, you don't have to think of what is right or wrong. Amen. Now this is particularly important because we need not to walk under the law. And the only person that can make us enjoy the fullness of grace is the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to break this down very carefully. Now let's just read Romans chapter 7. I'm just going to do a little analogy and you're going to understand it much better wrong. Remember Romans chapter 8, a chapter before this, he said, there is therefore now no condemnation. Now, assuming we are all Christians now, so we are walking every day, you think it is by what you do, just like Brahma Mama did now. So he's leaving the house without praying. The law will tell you, the law of your heart will naturally bring condemnation that you have wronged God. So when you hear the Bible saying, pray always, and even when I say pray always and pray in the Holy Ghost, he's saying if you have to be in tune, the only one person that can help you to be in tune is the Holy Spirit. So he's one, remember Jesus said, for I have come not to condemn the world because that is what the law does. It condemns us. So it reminds you every time per seconds of what you have not done. But the Holy Spirit is not here to condemn. It is here only to convict you when we are about to derail. But his sole aim is to keep us aright and keep us working with him. Now let's read Romans chapter 7. Let me just break down the concept of the law to everyone so that we have a better understanding. Romans chapter 7. Let's read from verse 1 together. Oh, sorry, let me read by myself. I'll read from the New King James Version. Before I start, do we have a couple in the house? Any couple in the house this evening? Do we have such? If you are, do we have, I just want a, you, I just want you to volunteer for, for us to do this experiment better. Amen. And good enough, the couple we have are the ones that don't like coming up here. Amen. But as the Holy Spirit will lead, maybe this is just the one opportunity they have. Okay, amen. Don't worry. Dele and I will lead. They are newly married. They've forgotten they are couples. Amen. You will remember very soon. Amen. Now, Romans chapter 7. Now, Paul was trying his efforts to try to differentiate what is called law and grace. To remind the people that Holy Spirit is the only person you need to walk under the grace. When we are done with this one, we'll recap the baptism and the infill of the Holy Spirit. Now watch what he says. He says, Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the word, the law. So those of you that know the law, ah, bros, you've not prayed today. God will not forgive you. You know there are some Christians that are very good at that. So they remind us of all the things we have not done and invariably somehow bringing condemnation. He says that the law has dominion over a man as long as he what? He lives. 
verse 2. For a woman who has a husband is bound by what? The law. To a what? To her husband as long as a husband what? Lives. Now, can we just have our couples, please? Just volunteer. Let's appreciate them with a clap of hands. Amen. Let's clap for them so that they can be more encouraged. Have you ever seen them on stage before? Today, God is doing something mighty. Yes, come on. Amen. You just stand in front of them just to prove that you are husband and wife. Hold your hands. Amen. So he says, for the woman, for this woman, is what? Is bound by the law of the land. So who? So this husband, as long as this man what? Leaves. Remember, Jesus said, for you are searching the law, the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. Jesus was also telling them that he is the what? He is the Lord. But they could not understand. What the Lord does to this woman is that he gives her instructions. So the man says, this is what you will do. The woman says what? Yes, my Lord. Because the law of the land binds her. If this man is a wicked man, because the law of the law, the law of Christ now, before now, the law of God forbids um, divorce. He now told them, you divorce because um, he allowed you because of, uh, it was a permissive will. So the law means that she cannot leave this man as long as this man is what? Alive. So if this man is a wicked man, is not a nice person, this woman is bound to keep staying with him according to the law. Is that correct? So this man comes back from work and then he gets home by 10 p.m. And this woman has done all she can. The law she understood was, if your husband wants pandayam, give it to him. If your husband wants uh, rice, give it to him. When she was newly married, they told her, the secret to a man's heart is what? Is his belly. So anything the man wants to eat, she's ready to give just to satisfy the law. So he comes back by 10 p.m. And the woman have set the dinner, rice, stew, plantain, everything. And he comes and says, I have worked all day. This rice cannot sustain me all through the night. All I want is pound a yam by 10 p.m. Amen? Now, the law demands, because she's under the law, she has to do what? Pound the yam. Amen? So, that is what the law does. Even though she doesn't like it, but she keeps doing it because the law has bounded her to what? To do it. Yes or no? So, for a very long time, she's been married to this man who is just doing his own thing naturally. He's just, he's just maximizing the, the office of a husband. They told us that when, remember when you were in um, marriage counseling, they say whatever he wants, just cook a bit. So he's doing it judiciously. So as long as this man is alive, she will keep cooking that pandayam by what? 10 p.m. Amen. Now he says, but if the husband dies, the woman is therefore done what? Release. So the only way she can be released from the law is when this man does what? Dies. Is that correct? But in, inside of her, she loves the man so well. But the only thing is that the man can sometimes be very inconsiderate, right? But she loves the man irrespective. Or am I not speaking your mind? 
Yes, I am. Amen. So it says, but if the husband dies, she is then what? Release. Yes or no? Come on, let me get some response now. Now let's go to verse 3. Verse 3 then says, so then, if while her husband is alive, she marries another man, she will be called a what? She will be called a what? But if the man dies, she will be free to marry another one from the, she's free from the law so that she can no more be an adulteress, though she marries what? Another man. Do we understand that? So can she marry another man? Can she marry another man? Yes. On what condition if the man dies? If the man is alive, can she marry another man? No, correct. Just, just to be sure you have it. Let's just recap that. Can she marry another man? Yes. Can she marry another man? Yes. Under what condition? And the man dies. But if the man is alive, by law, is she allowed to marry another man? No. Good. Let's go to verse 4. Paul then says, Therefore, verse 4, Therefore, my brethren, you are like this woman, that is who we were before we met Christ. Before Christ, we were like this woman. The law was what bound us. So if the law says, that shall not, if the law says, pray before you leave. If you don't pray, you can have that condemnation that whatever you miss is by your hands. If the law did say, you must have quiet time before you sleep. If arm robber come to your house by night, you will blame only your what? Yourself. Because we are bound by that law. It says, therefore, my brethren, you have also become dead to the law through the body of who? Come on, through the body of who? It says, through the body of Christ, that you may be married to, an, to what? Another. Now, this is what he's saying. That Christ has died. Remember we said, Christ is the law. So, he says, you, who is this woman? You are now married to another. This is Christ. When Christ, who was the husband before, remember the Old Testament was a shadow of the things to come. So the law you were obeying, which was the man, was Christ that was to come. So they gave it to us because Christ was supposed to be the law. So when Christ died, assuming this is Christ and he dies, can you just move backward? No, no, only him. So when Christ died, what happened? We were the woman. So when Christ died, we were now separated from the what? From the law, because the man is the law. So at the death of Christ, we were before the death of Christ, we were walking under the law. So you could be condemned by not doing some things that were rudimental. But when Christ died, we became free from what? The law. That is what he's saying. Therefore, my brethren, you also became dead to the law through the body of Christ. So that you are now free to marry who? another person. Amen. So this is who we are before the law, before Christ came, before the Holy Spirit was given to us. So we could not do some things because we were bound by it. So but when Christ died, we are now free. Remember I said, this woman still loved this man. If you want to marry another man, who will he marry? This man. Now watch carefully. He says you are now free to marry another man. Now let's read together the next thing he says. So him, who was what? Raised from, now who was raised from the dead? The dead Christ. So this man that died 
rose up again. So he took back his place. You can now go. But this time it's not like the law. He's taking this place like a man of grace. Amen. He said, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear the fruit of God. So this is the same man that is married. He's no more the law. He is now married to the grace. So this same man that will ask this woman to pound yam by 10 p.m. This time, because he's a man of grace, when he comes back from work, he will see the table set. Even though that's not what he wants to eat, he will be filled with grace. And he will say, I know you were taking care of the children. I know you were busy. I know you put a lot through to put this to me. Though I want to eat pound yam, but I will pardon your strength this time. I will pardon your weakness this time because I am not on, you are not under the law to me. Amen. So this woman cannot feel condemned even though she is shortfall of what the husband expects. So grace is saying the law has bound us to do stiff-neckedly what the law says. But Jesus coming by grace has come now to say this is your new life. Amen. This woman, before now, if she cooks yam, she will be afraid when the husband is coming. Why? Because she doesn't know what the husband would expect. So she will be having fear and what condemnation. Now she's married to the new Christ. Will she be afraid? She knows even in her shortcoming, grace will cover her. And that is what the Holy Spirit keep reminding her. No, don't fear. When he comes, he's not going to beat you. He's not that kind of man anymore. No, don't fear. Irrespective of what you do, he's going to steal the cleanness in you. So far, you are doing it with a clear conscience. Celebrate them as they go back to their seat. Now, do we understand the concept of law now? This is what you need because once you live here, you cannot really understand the concept of the Holy Spirit helping you if you don't understand the simple idea of law. Now, that is why the Bible now says, for there is therefore now no what? Condemnation for those who are in what? Christ. Who lives according to the what? To the spirit, but not according to what? To the flesh. Amen. I say amen. Now, having understood that, now the only thing that will bring no condemnation is the person of the Holy Spirit. If he's not there to continually remind you of your weakness, because what we do invariably, we try to please God. The more you try to please God, you are walking under works, which is still under the law. So, but grace permits you to, to have that freedom. That is why he said, for as many as are led by who? The Holy Spirit. So it's the Holy Spirit that will lead you part time. So in the case of Momo now, it's the Holy Spirit that will remind him that you've forgotten to have a quiet time. But you still had to have your appointment. But don't worry, I have gone ahead of you. Until he hears that voice. Only the voice, the only voice you'll be hearing is the voice of what? Condemnation. But if the Holy Spirit is fooling him, he will tell him, don't worry, he's going before you. You will not even remember if you have prayed or not because you are full of the word of the Holy Spirit. Amen. To round up that, before I think I still have time. To round up that, I'll just show us something in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now, the Lord is that Spirit... And where the spirit of the Lord is, 
there is liberty. Have you read this scripture before? Now the Lord is what? That spirit. And now where the spirit of God is, there is what? Liberty. But before you read that, just read verse 14 and then you're going to understand what he was saying. Verse 14 says, but their minds, which is also our minds, are blinded. But until this day, there still remains the veil that is yet to be lifted by the reading of the Old Testament. What he was saying is that I have so many Christians who are living like as if they are living under the law. And he's saying because there is a veil that stops you from seeing the beautiful thing called grace. So as long as the Old Testament is read, this veil still exists. Verse 15. 15 then says, But even to this day, when the, when the law of Moses is read, a veil lies in their heart. Verse 16. And it says, Nevertheless, when we turn to the Lord, the veil shall be what? Taken away. Nevertheless, if we turn to the law, the veil to the Lord, the veil shall be what? Taken away. So that when you read verse 17, you have a clear understanding. He says, Now, he says, When you turn to who? To who? Stay with me. When you turn to who? The veil brings condemnation. He says, Now, when you turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. He now says, Verse 17 now says, Now, the Lord who you are turning to is the what? Is the Holy Spirit. When you turn to God, that God is not just God the God. It is the God the, the what? The Holy Spirit. And where the Holy Spirit is, there is what? Liberty. So law has no grips on you. As long as you are walking with the Lord with a whole heart. The spirit of condemnation is taken away. Now that you know this, that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Let's now dig a little bit deeper. Amen. Now this is important because you need to understand that before you can understand the grace that lies in the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. I say praise the Lord. Now going back to Sunday, because this is very key before we even had started. And that is why I think I had some people trying to get some clarification. Now you know that the Holy Spirit is going to bring grace and no condemnation to you. We started by saying there is something called the new birth. I went to John chapter 3 when Nicodemus went to meet Jesus. Can we remember that? Do we still remember? And what did he say and what was Jesus' response to him? He said, except a man be born of what? Water and what? He cannot do what? See the kingdom of God. And we said the spirit means the what? The Holy Spirit. So Jesus was saying, when we say you are born again, when we say we give our life to Christ, what happens in the spirit that we do not understand is that there is a new birth of you. That new birth of you is the Holy Spirit saying, I have a new person. Remember like three weeks ago when we were having this discussion, we said it is even the Holy Spirit alone that can give you the grace to be born again. Is that correct? Remember we said so. That even it is only the Holy Spirit that can give you the grace to even receive Christ. So when he gives you that grace, what he's doing is he's betting a new you. That is why the Bible says, for we, for there is, we, are, we are now therefore a new creature. All things are what? Pass away. And we said, 
John chapter 3, let me just read it. Jesus said, most assuredly, unless anyone is born of water and the Holy Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verse 6, Jesus went ahead and says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. So when we're born, we're born naturally. He says, but anybody that is given birth by the Holy Spirit is what? Is spirit. Verse 7, verse 7 says, do not marvel that I say that you must be born again. Next verse. Next verse says, the wind blows and you hear the sound, but you cannot tell where it's going from. So also everyone that is born of the words of the spirit. So also everyone that is born of the spirit. So it's the spirit that did the conviction and it's also the spirit that gave birth to us. The reason why we need to know this is that when he gives birth to you, you become a, a product of him. We said on Sunday, if a goat gives birth, he can only give birth to a what? A goat. If a cow gives birth, he can only give birth to a what? A cow. If the Holy Spirit gives birth to you, what do you think you are made of? You are made of a spirit. So, it takes away what we knew before now, that all of us, everybody cannot have the Holy Spirit. Everybody can have the Holy Spirit because that was the original promise, dwell and act when the Bible says, in the latter days, I will pour out my spirit upon how many flesh? Upon all flesh. So we are designed or we are expected of God to have that spirit. Now we went ahead and said, because the spirit is now in us, doesn't mean we are walking in the fullness of it. He just deposited that spirit in you. The, 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 the ability to quicken it now lies on you. Remember, the Holy Spirit will never stop you from doing something that is wrong. If you want to do something that is wrong, or let's just assume, let's assume you want to tell a lie. Even before you say it, something will tell you deep within you, you are about to lie. Am I the only one? Am I the only one? If you are part of me, let me see your hands. So we are many, amen. So he will tell you that you are about to lie. That is just, that is not condemnation. He's only trying to convict you that you are about to do something wrong. The choice to continue lies on who? On you. Can you see that? So, so also, that is why the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit indwelling in us and we, that the scripture says that Christ may be formed in you. Now, let's take it a step further. If the Holy Spirit now dwells in us, which we all know, we said on Sunday that all what we have is a gift wrapped up within us. How then are we expected to activate that gift? Because in this Christian race, it is going to be the decider between those who can stand the test of time and those who cannot. The Holy Spirit is going to be the person who is going to decide or the decider on who is going to go through adversity or not. Is going to be the person who will decide those who are going to have foresight and hindsight or not. Because it's a spirit of truth. Now, let's just go straight to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which we learned on Sunday. Now that this person has received Christ, we said that 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16 now says to these people that have received Christ, Know ye not that ye are the temple of the living God, and the Holy Spirit was dwells in you. These are not the things for matured Christians. It's for new converts. It's for all Christians. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the living God and that Christ dwells in you? What then is the difference between us 
and the disciples at the upper room. The difference between people that receive Christ and the disciples at the upper room is what is called the infilling of the Holy Spirit. That infilling is what is activated when you unwrap that gift. I'm going to show you an example. Now, the very first time the Holy Spirit came to earth was in Acts chapter 2. Jesus said, tarry in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the Holy Spirit couldn't have come upon all flesh because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, we usually mix it to mean the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the Pentecostal day to also mean the infilling of the Holy Spirit. What happens on the day of Pentecost was that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2 says, and the Holy Ghost filled the room. He filled the room and filled everyone that was in. While you differentiate is that when the Holy Spirit fills a person, the people, the only way the outsiders could see it was that they thought they were drunk. If you are yet to the, get to the point where something drives you beyond the measure of what you can do, that may just be a decider that we are yet to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The infilling comes, which we are going to see now. But let me, just, let me not do so much talking. Romans chapter 6 from verse 1. Let me show us something. Romans chapter 6 verse 1. Romans 6 verse 1 says, What shall we then say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2. He says, Certainly not. How shall we who were dead to sin live any longer in it? Verse 3. He then says, Or do you not know that as many that were what? As many that were what? Into who? As many that were what? Baptized into Christ. This is meaning that as many of us that gave our life to Christ were baptized into what? Christ. Remember, Jesus said, when we baptize people, he said, you must be born of water and of the spirit. The water is immediately talking about the water baptism. And he said, when you baptize them, tell them you are baptizing them in whose name? In how many names? The Father, the Son, and the what? Holy Spirit. So you are baptizing into the... You are baptized into Christ in the name of the Father, the Son, and the what? The Holy Spirit. He says, for as many of us that have received this, which is newly born again people, or people who have come to the knowledge of Christ, were baptized into Christ. Verse 4. Verse 4 then says, therefore we are buried in him, through him, through baptism unto death. That just as Christ was raised from death by the glory of the Father, even so we are expected to do what? Walk in what? Walk in what? Now come on, walk in what? Newness of life. So now that you have received the Holy Spirit, he's saying we need to walk in what is called newness of life, which is what we're going to discuss on Sunday. It is called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now let me ask you a question. If somebody was not born again before now and he used to smoke, if he's born again, is he expected to smoke? Is that not a newness of life? One. If somebody was before Christ used to have anger issues, now that is in Christ, is he expected to have anger issues? Why? Because he's working what? Newness of Christ. If you look at the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit, he talks about love. Let's even take love as a big example. So if we now are in Christ, are we supposed to have 
love for everyone or for some set of people? Everyone. Now, this fruit, is it for those who have received, who can speak in tongues only? No, let's discuss it. Those who can speak in tongues, are we, are they the only people that are expected to show love? Who are those that are supposed to show love? How many people? As much that you are in who? Christ Jesus. As much as you have the word, the baptism into Christ. So who teaches us as new converts to start loving? What teaches you? Who teaches you? Now who teaches us to have long suffering? Who teaches us? Now who teaches that same person to start um, to be caring? Who teaches us? The Holy Spirit. This person that have gotten a new or changed life, has he started speaking in tongues? No, he has not. But he has now started showing love, hasn't it? Now, come on, let's discuss it. We're all ones in, at the, you know, the other side. When we're now converted, our life changed. Didn't it change? So who was teaching that person how to do the right thing? Why? Because he was baptized into Christ. He was baptized into the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was teaching the person how to live a right. So someone who is one year born again and the other person who is 20 years, are they expected to be living the same life? No, as in character-wise. Character-wise, right? No, character-wise, yes. So if somebody that is born again one year is showing love, we that are born again 20 years are supposed to do what? Isn't greater love? I think I love that. Yes. So if somebody who is who is um, one year born again is being showing care, those who are 20 years are supposed to do what? Good. So, but is the fruit the same across board? I'm asking, is the fruit the same across board? So the Holy Spirit is what who teaches us how to do these things. It's just that those who are more mature knows how to do it what better. So that is what we're going to discuss on Sunday, what the fruit of the Holy Spirit is. But the Holy Spirit is what teaches everyone how to live aright because you were baptized into the Holy Spirit. That is where it works, stops. That is why Jesus called it the Spirit of Truth because his job is to teach you aright how to walk with God. But for you to walk with power, he requires you to have him activated to walk with power. So the person who has the baptism of the Holy Spirit is going to live a good life, a righteous life. You will know him because the Bible says, by the fruit you shall what? Know them. He will be in the choir. He will be in a worker. He will be everywhere in church. We are doing the right thing. We can be in church for five years, but we are all doing the right thing. If you go outside there, they know us as Christians because of the what? The fruit. Jesus says, by their fruit you shall what? Know them. So the Holy Spirit by the fruit is going to show that this one is a Christian, this one is not. Is that correct? But the difference between him and someone else, or the people who were in the upper room, is going to be the power that lies to do the extraordinary. Amen. Amen. So let's quickly look at infilling of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2 verse 4. One of the gifts or one of the traits of the Holy Spirit is this. There are three major traits of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to wrap this up in 10 minutes. We'll take a few questions and then we'll wrap up. 
the first which is the most pronounced which is what we see every time is what is a speaking in tongues you are so full of it you say what yes yeah, speaking in other tongues like Brassam did say it is one of the most pronounced um, signs that that person is filled with the Holy Spirit the second one is that he will endure us with power and the third is that he will endure you with boldness for witnessing let me tell you the biggest mistake that we make people want to be filled with the Holy Spirit because we think we can now speak in tongues and when you speak in tongues everybody will now know that you are a what? Christian I usually ask people why do you want to receive the Holy Spirit why do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit the only answer you always get is that so that I can also speak in what? in tongues but let me tell you the original intent Jesus says for as many as are baptized in me he says to them he will give power that you may be witnesses in all over the world that you may be what? witnesses all over the world now Paul did say something he says for as many that receive the Holy Spirit they receive it so that they may profit without the first aim is not for your own benefit it's first for the benefit of the church he didn't say it must benefit you it's not solely to benefit you it helps you along the way but if it is originally to benefit the church if we are all receiving it to benefit ourselves what best can we do you just be increasing in your business increasing in your family increasing just you and you alone so just imagine God is giving it to you so that you can benefit the church will God naturally give it to you to benefit you do we even need the Holy Spirit to get a job do we need the Holy Spirit to get a job you had the job even sometimes before we even received Christ but he gave it to us so that we can benefit the church it is for empowerment for his own work but there is no way you can be empowered to do God's job that you will not be empowered for your own benefit That is why when we are asking for it, we must know the reason why we are asking. We are not asking it amiss. If you say, God, give me the Holy Spirit so that I can speak in tongues, so that when Brassam sees me tomorrow, he will just, you know, not cap for me. That is not the whole idea. It is for the empowerment of the church that we may profit without. That we may profit what? Without. We may profit those that are around us. The scripture did say one thing. He says, if we do speak in tongues, it is only a sign for people who are not believers. But if you speak in tongues, do you think it can impress me? No, let's just be factual. If you speak in tongues here, can it impress anybody here? But because we are all Christians, does it impress us? It doesn't impress us. You can't speak in tongues and Pastor Conrad will clap in for you that you're speaking in tongues. Does it happen? It doesn't happen. So if you are speaking in tongues, are you speaking in tongues so that you can benefit yourself? No, it's so that you can be empowered. So the empowerment is first for the benefit of the church. So you will see that when we do things sometimes, it's not that we all have the strength to do it. It's not that we have the all-knowing knowledge to do it. It's not that we have all the direction to do it. It's because the Holy Spirit is there to help and to guide. And that power and the Spirit will help us in the name of Jesus. 
So he says the three main reasons that the Holy Spirit, the three main evidence is one, speaking in tongue. Two, it endures us with power. And the third is for witnessing. So I round up. How do we get it? There are various ways we're going to get it, which we discussed on Sunday. One of the ways can also be by laying of hands. And one of the things I always tell people, you can easily get it. Remember, for when the senior pastor started this Holy Spirit series, the text we took was from was it first Samuel, right? When Saul was in the midst of what? He was in the midst of who? He was in the midst of who? He was in the midst of prophet and he also began to what? Prophesy. One of the easiest way to receive the infill of the Holy Spirit is to be amongst those who have it already in the place of prayer. If you ask for it, good enough. Keep praying and asking for it. But you must come closer to those who have that fire. That fire can easily come from betting out from somebody else that have or from close circuit of those who have it. Amen. And Amen. And that is why when the Gentiles first had it, when the Gentiles first had it in Acts chapter 10, the Bible says it took the, it took the disciples to come down and pray for them to have the infield. It's not something you just get by yourself alone. You must first, we said, you must hunger for it. You must test for it. And one of the easiest way is to be in close fellowship of those who do have it. You can't be in the place of prayer where people are speaking in tongues. Over time, you will catch that anointing. Praise the name of the Lord. And just to wrap up, we said in Luke chapter 11 verse 9, that one of the ways we can have it is to earnestly desire for it. The Bible says, if you thirst for me, if you thirst for me, he will fill you with waters that will never what, run dry. He said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of water. And we read it that day. He said, the rivers of water he was referring to was what? The Holy Spirit. And then we lastly said, Luke chapter 11 verse 9, ask and it shall be given, knock and it shall be opened, and seek you shall what? You shall find. As many of us that do it, the Lord Jesus, the Lord God will also do what? Give the Holy Spirit to as many that ask. Praise the name of the Lord. I say praise the name of the Lord. Celebrate the Lord in the fullness of his pleasure. Amen. So I'll just take questions if we have if we have any. Does anybody have questions? One person, do we have another so that we know how much time we allocate? Any other person? One person, do we have any other person? Okay, we'll take we'll take Brad Mitchell's questions and then we'll try to end the discussion. Okay, good evening, church. Brad Mitchell, don't ask a difficult one. It's from what you just taught us. Uh, Pastor, I understand, understood the part that you said we we should not depend on our works. And something happened to me, that was 2011, I had some trials in my life and I thought I could do best by doubling my service to God. And I think it was in the course of, we are having a prayer meeting and somebody, God gave a word to that person to tell me that don't think it's by doubling the service of what you do for me in my house. That God is aware of what I'm going through, that in a short while I will come out of it gloriously. 
I want to ask this question is, is it out of place to make reference to your service to God in prayers? Just like Hezekiah did when God asked him to put your house in order or it is time for you to die. And just like uh, uh, Nehemiah also did the book of Nehemiah, he told God, for this and that I have done in your house, remember me for good. Is it out of place to do so? Praise the Lord. I told you not to ask a difficult one. Amen. But you still went ahead and asked a difficult one. Does anybody want to help me? Pastor Cora, don't leave me alone in this. Okay, do we have the mic for Pastor Corrad? He says no. Okay, let's just give it to Brother Sam. Amen. So his question is, is it out of place? Just like um, Ezekiah did and asking God to remember his good works. So when you, made, when you made mention of we should not depend on our works and we should not do, we, we, we should not come to church or work do things because we are expecting results. Okay, I am paying my time. That is why this my money should double up. It's not like okay, let me give God ten percent so that the next time I can get a hundred thousand, and I give another ten percent, and it goes up like that. You're doing it because you love God. So if you are even going to remind God of your works in the house, you're not. Uh, I, I think it's from what I've heard, I think it's out of place because the truth is, why you're doing what you're doing to God is love I'm, what I'm doing in the house of God, I did it because I love you, so it's putting a reminder say, okay God, remember my tithe, remember my this and that uh, is becoming work, so as long as, if you're doing it from the point of I'm not expecting anything, so what I'm doing right now, what I come through or not if I got it right, somewhere in the line I missed it Okay. okay. Let's hear you. Personally, I don't think it's out of place for me to ask God, but be, uh, remind God rather of my works, but in his mercy. That on my own, that's what I say. I say, Lord, in your mercy. As much as, yes, I've done this, I've done this, but it's by your grace and your mercy. Hear my cry. That's just it. Good evening, church. I think I will look at it this way that the Bible says God loves you first, even before you loved him. And he died for you. You were a sinner. He died for you. God is not waiting for you to serve him before he does anything for you. So not saying God, but I did this, I did this, I did this. Because sometimes I meditate. And I say, Father Lord, nobody can query you. I see some people do not go to church. They do not, I don't know their heart. They don't believe in paying tithes. They don't do anything to serve you, but you still bless them. If we look at it from that angle, even when you are yet a sinner, Jesus died for you. So why are you going to say, well, God, I did this for you. I did this for you. I did. If God is going to take um, our sins 
on us, nobody's going to survive. <laughs> well, as you are just saying that, it reminded me when the Bible says, even the most righteous of us is like a what? Filthy rag before him. Amen. Just adding to that. Amen. Any other person? Want to say something, sir? No, let me, let me be the last person. Okay. Lady, help us in. Praise God. Amuli, are you raising your hand? Okay, when you say that you are reminding God what you, the things that you did, I don't understand. Did God forget before? <laughs> like, as in God, I came to, he did not forget that you came to church. He did not forget in the first place. I, know, I don't know why we say we are reminding him of what we did. Of things that we, okay, if you are saying that you are reminding God of the good things you have done, okay, God, I want you to remember all the things that I have done. I hope you are, I hope you, I hope you can also tell him to remind to remember the bad things you have done too. So all this um, remember me, remember what I came to church, remember that I paid my tithe. What about the same day I paid my tithe, I did something wrong? What if you should remember that too with it? So I don't think there's any point saying, God, remember my good work. Because in the first place, he's not gonna bless you because of the good works. He's not gonna bless you anyway because he loves you. So that has to do with whether what you did or what you did not do. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Alright, I think we have another one. Good evening, church. So I think that we are, my opinion, that we're answering the question maybe in the context which Brother Mitchell asked it, but I'm answering the question based on, the, on, on what he said without, um, without making any reference to his own um, situation. So I don't think it is wrong to... Um, ask to remind God of the things that you've done because I believe that it depends on the situation. As in, may God not put us in a situation where it's really bad. You will plead your case. You remind God that, ah, God, remember when I did this? I remember when I did that. And even God Himself, if we read the Bible, all the times that the Israelites, you know, turned away from Him, He was really hurt. And He Himself reminded them. That I brought you out of the Egyptians. I saved you from Pharaoh. I did that. I did this, fathers. I did this to your, your this is the good I've done for you. And still, you know, pay me back like this. You still turn to other gods. And I believe made in the image of our father. So if you really, if you're really, really hurt and if you're really in a bad situation, um, I don't think you're doing, you're not doing it in a way that, oh, I did this for you. No, it's more like pleading your case. Like, ah, God, don't, don't. Let me go down like this, please. Remember all my good works. Amen. Any other person? We have more hands. Amen. Ramicha, we told you not to ask a difficult one. No, I'm just going to contribute. <clears throat> my own take is that if it's not desirable for us to plead our causes, why then was it mentioned in the Bible that certain category of people? Pleaded their causes and God hacking to their Christ. Um, Ezekiah, Dorcas, and that's what that one. And Nehemiah. So I believe that um, it's not a bad idea to plead your cause when you really need it to be pleaded before God. Praise the Lord. Let's celebrate her as well. Do we have another one? Okay, let's hear you as well. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I know there's a portion of the Bible to add to what uh, Sister Wunli said. He said we should come with our strong reasons. We should present our case before him. Praise the Lord. 
Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> okay, before before the senior pastor says anything. He wants to say something. Okay, we have another hand, yeah? yeah Alright, let's take okay, we have another hand. Good evening, church. One house, please. One house. I don't think it's out of place to remind God of what we've done. Because it's the same thing as if you are surrendering situation to God in words like prayer. So if you are reminding God, you are saying, God, I surrender my situation to you. I give you everything. Take control. I've praised you in your presence. Now, praise is, is what you want. Give me my blessing. <laughs> no. Yes, yes, yes. No, right. it's true. Because God needs, God wants command. Just like the preaching you preached the other last Sunday, he said, and he um, took Ezekiel to the city of dry bones. Yes. He said, you, God wanted Ezekiel to say the word before he moves. Prophesy to the dry bones. Prophesy. Let's celebrate him. Let's celebrate my yes. brother. Let me round up. Let me round up. Praise the Lord. Okay. All right. We're just going to round this up so that we won't get... It's almost getting to a vote here now. Amen. No, now, remember... Remember the scripture. Usually I always tell... I always tell people... That when, especially the New Testament... Usually when it is written, there are some things that will be said. It's usually said to a particular type of audience. Like when the scripture says... Be not drunken in wine, but be filled with what? The Holy Spirit. The set of people he was talking to was matured Christians. That same word, if you say it to outsiders, they will say, be not be drunk in wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. They will say, ah, thank you. That is the word the Lord has been laying in my heart. So it is not even wrong to even drink wine in the first place. Amen. So what was the particular, what was the target, target uh, message? Was to be what? filled with the Holy Spirit, but people can take, we can, you know, pick it a little bit. Now, what we were trying to really put in point, in perspective, was that you should understand the place of works that is not originally by your works. If you understand, for those who have been through Jesus Academy, we talk about prayer, and we dealt with types of prayer. And one of the prayer we dealt with, we had prayer of supplication, we have prayer of petition, we have prayer of different type of prayer. There is really nothing wrong. You may not, it's not as if you are going to put your whole mind on it. We are not saying, get us right now, we are not saying, that is why the original intent of this is for you to be led by the Spirit. Do you understand? If you are led by the Spirit, I will know what to tell God part time. It's even the spirit that will tell me what to tell him part time. Do you understand? So we are not saying you may get to a point where you are praying a prayer of petition and you are just pleading God to remember your good works. Remember, he says he died even whilst we were yet sinners. And he went and said, and said what, what, what can separate us from that love? Not perils, not this, not, not sin, not death can separate us from that love. He has loved us with an everlasting love. If I will 
plead my case to God doesn't mean I really like what this brother said at some point where he was saying you are just you are just telling him but so that he can have more mercy not that by those works you may be justified because even the works that you think you've done do you think you have even done enough Sometimes, if God should measure us by what we've done, maybe we've not done enough. Let's listen to the senior pastor and just... Amen. Well, um, Brother Michelle, thank you for making everybody talk. Because everybody started talking. And really, um, Wednesday is about fellowship. This service is designed for that effect. Interactive. Whether what you say is right or not, it is good that you say something. And no matter what anybody says, we clap for them. Praise God. Um, You're teaching us about the Holy Spirit. And you're talking about law and grace. He's called our Father. He says, when I say, ask him, how should we pray? He says, our Father, who art in heaven. He's not afar off anymore. He has been brought close when the veil was torn. It says, no longer are you servants. Now you are even my friends. How does a friend communicate with a friend? In the New Testament, the Bible says that the letter killeth, but the spirit gives life. So it doesn't matter how you say it. It is your heart that matters. Prayer is not a technical presentation in Supreme Court. My learned senior. So in the New Testament, grace allows you to speak to God like your father. When my children speak to me, I don't expect them to worry about technicalities. I am trying to understand what they're trying to say. I'll show you two scriptures. Um, John 17 verse 4 and 5. Can you put, okay, it says, this is just speaking to the Father. I have glorified you on earth. What is he doing? He's telling God what he has done. I have finished the work you have given me to do. All right? Verse 5. What are you doing? And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory with which I had with you, before that he says to God I have glorified you I have finished the work now some action because it's father and son in the old testament you talk to God anyway, he will kill you he will kill you in the new testament the veil has been removed there's no technicality in how we speak to God. He's more interested in your heart. What are you trying to say? How can I be saying, remember me, O oh God? Even when I didn't have money, I tried to serve. Like you said, mercy. Like you said, I say God is a rewarder of them that diligently say, if I am a rewarder, I'm rewarding for something you have done. So it's not bad if you remind me. Not as if he forgets. No, he doesn't forget, but it's not so bad. 
Hello. Okay, I'll give you one more. In Matthew. Matthew 19 and verse 27. Peter asked Jesus a question. Peter said to the Lord Jesus, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we get? Hello? Who dares ask that question? We have left all and followed you. Is it written with me? Therefore, what shall we have? Why didn't Thunder armor the man? This is even a worst request. In verse 29, Jesus answered, verse 29, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or lands for my namesake shall receive a hundredfold and still inherit eternal life. Now, when you know God, the one that never sleeps nor slumbers, the one that does not have the capacity to forget, when he says, plead your case, bring forth strong reasons, the one that knows everything. Sometimes he wants you to be a little more confident. Confidence is based on a knowledge. When you know what you are talking about, what you do is you carry God along with you. God was never against you. In fact, he's never against you. There's only one accuser of the brethren. Satan. God does not accuse his children. In fact, he's looking for a way, every way to bless us. That's why the Bible says when he gave us Jesus, what more will he not give us? So when you speak like that, you're not informing him. Prayer is not informing God. God knows everything. Okay, so why do you ask God for what he already knows? Why did he say you should ask? God just wants you to speak to him. God wants you to have more confidence. Confidence is based on knowledge. If I have been doing the right thing as much as I can, ah, ah, Lord, let's talk. That's how a confident son talks to the father. And sometimes God will say, I'm not even your problem. Command the dead bones to come to life. Can, can, I, can I tell you, these ones are my sons in the gospel. I don't expect you to worry how you speak to me. This one, this one sometimes with the glasses, he talks somehow. I say, is it me you're talking to? But I will never hammer him. I want you to have the confidence that God loves you enough to want to understand what you are trying to say. There's no technicality in relating with God. See these children, when they want to talk to their father, they don't talk like his staff. In fact, if they talk like his staff, you say, what is wrong? 
This is not how you talk to me. This one will probably put his arm, her arm around him as if she is the wife and be talking to him. And everybody will be shaking. That's the boss you are doing. He said, Oh, he's the boss's daughter. Oh, God, you know what? Don't be cocky when you're speaking to God. Don't be cocky. Nobody has earned anything with God. He has blessed us. Whatever we did, like the pastor said, he said, we're supposed to do it because we love God, not because we want anything. But when water wants pass Gary, Oga, you need to talk. And when you talk, the most you can say, you should not have said like that, Father, I'm sorry, but still, bless me. Let's celebrate the Lord. Let's celebrate the Lord. God be praised. Amen. Have you been blessed this evening? Have you been blessed this evening? Why don't you just close your eyes and just thank the Lord for the grace to be here, for altering your steps to be here, for what you have learned today, for the well of wisdom in which he has instilled in us. Just bless him. Thank the Holy Spirit for guidance. Thank the Spirit of truth for unveiling to us even the deep things of the Lord. Just bless him and give him praise. Just give him honor. Thank him for giving us new light to how we're going to walk with him and how we're going to walk in the understanding of what he wants us to do. Blessed be to the name of the Lord for in Jesus' name we have prayed. Let's just celebrate God one more time. God is a good God.